Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad and The Advertising, the show where we ask if the world were our client, what would the brief be? Each week we look to tackle some of society's biggest challenges with the same creativity and strategic rigour that Adland employs to tackle a client brief. I'm Amy Williams, founder of Goodloop. I'm joined by my fabulous co-host, Dino Myers-Lamptey, and our special guest this week is Emma Cookson. Emma is a total badass, frankly, a straight-talking, brilliant brand strategist who rose through the ranks of Adland from global head of strategic planning to CEO and then chairman of BBH New York. Emma is hands down one of the most influential people in advertising and today she's a partner at the brand tech group You and Mr Jones, investing in and collaborating with the most innovative companies in our industry. So we are thrilled to have you on the show, Emma. It's a big pleasure to be here. Thank you. Okay, let's talk meat. First, I'm going to start with a question, actually. Emma, Dino, do you eat meat? Yes, I do. Yes, I do too. Yeah, me too. Wow, okay, three carnivores talking about going veggie. Let's see if doing this show changes our minds. So I thought the best thing to do, seeing as we are all meat eaters, is to set the scene with some of the very terrifying but necessary facts. Like, let's just rip the Band-Aid off and get them out the way. The industrial meat industry is the single biggest cause of deforestation globally. And as of this year, as of 2021, due to land clearing forest fires, the Amazon rainforest now emits more carbon emissions than it is able to absorb. Just saying that aloud, it makes me genuinely so sad. One cow can fart and burp a really quite astounding 200 kilograms of methane every year, which means that emissions from cows and fertilizer use emit as much greenhouse gas as the world's entire fleet of cars, trucks and aeroplanes. And finally, even if it wasn't terrible in literally every other way, there simply isn't space for us to keep eating meat as we do. One quarter of the world's land is used to graze animals or to grow food for them. And we're going to have an extra 2 billion people knocking around by 2050. So at this rate, we'd need four planets to feed them all. So let that sink in a moment. But the good news is that this is definitely a problem the advertising industry can help address as we think about reshaping demand and changing culture. So to kick us off, I went on the hunt for examples of brands who are already doing this. And I found a new report on the future of sustainable business published by Phil Rowley, head of futures at Omnicom. In it, he champions Corn as a brand who are doing a brilliant job of tailoring their messaging based on who they're talking to. So they have two pieces of creative. The first is a powerful manifesto film. It's called Food for Our Future. It's targeted to young, green, savvy consumers. It's about science and it's about solutions. They also have a 30-second TV spot. And this talks to an older, perhaps more sceptical generation who really can't fathom replacing meat uh, with corn. The spot focuses on adjacent benefits like taste and health, and it has a much more lighthearted tone. Like we meet a, a Venus flytrap who now loves veggie sausages, and we see a rugged northern fella who says that in spite of his initial scepticism, he, he's now enjoying corn and two veg on a Sunday. And so like, I think I'll end with a, a simple suggestion that if we don't solve this brief, our future will be much like the movie Armageddon in that it will be insufferable. So um, no pressure, but Dino, over to you. Oh, wow. You didn't even mention Greg's in their vegan sausage roll. I mean, you know, corn have made quite an effort, but Greg's have also, you know, put their hat in the ring, haven't they, to solve this massive problem. I I think it is a massive problem, and I hope we can get some way in towards denting it. I mean, I think it helps that we're three meat eaters as well. 
because in the process of, of convincing the world, I guess we've got to convince ourselves. The things that I would throw into the mix are, I'm really confused about, I mean, the, the stats that you mentioned are, are quite, you know, shocking, really, in terms of just how much kind of, you know, environmental damage, you know, cows in particular are doing. But I'm really confused about how much less meat we need to eat. Because there's either an all-out ban, which I don't think that, you know, everyone's really saying in terms of there should be a complete ban. It's just about reducing our consumption of meat. If you're like me and you've been to Argentina, you've noticed that meat is kind of like all they eat. You know, it's everywhere, uh, particularly steak meat. So, you know, I'm always trying to quantify it and go, right, right, okay, how big is this problem um, on a world and global scale in terms of how much of an impact am I going to make if I, if I change my habits yeah. compared to the impact that needs to happen on a global scale? So I think that, you know, this is one thing that it needs to be a united effort, doesn't it? Yeah, I actually do have some stats on that, just to that point on how much do we need to achieve with this brief? So the UK government commissioned a review just a few days ago, actually. It was led by the founder of Leon. And in that review, they have a recommendation. They say that they need to cut meat consumption in the UK by 30% within a decade, which when you work it out is about two less days of meat per person. So, so if we have that in our minds, as you say, there are countries where meat eating is much more prolific. China and the US have substantially more meat eating than any other country. And actually in the UK, it has decreased in the last two years. So we're already on the right track and certainly we're not the biggest problem. But if we focus on that, I think that might give us a little bit more of a structure. The first thing is about trying to get people to eat probably less meat. And I think that the, the problem with meat is that it's easy. And I guess it's, um, mm. it's relatively cheap for some people, you know, in a sense that you can buy cheap meat. And, uh, and it's, you know, you don't need to be a, a master chef to know how to, you know, grill a steak. Um, so it, I think there's a bit of a food education kind of job that needs to be done with this brief because there's an element of, of trying to make vegetarian and vegan and, and an alternative food a bit more exciting. While I'm a meat eater, you know, my wife is a vegetarian and has been for many years. And, and I've always seen the benefits of both sides in a sense and lived with those kind of benefits of both sides. Like someone that really likes the oh, interesting. You know, vegetables and, yeah, and cooks them, you know, puts a lot of effort into cooking them. So therefore... You know, I've kind of seen, you know, what what it what it's like, I guess, to be um, a vegetarian. She she's not vegan though, I must say, importantly, because there is a lot of kind of cream and butter and cheese that you know goes into the food, uh, which I think is quite important to make it tasty. But I think there's been a lot of innovation in recent years in terms of you know all the, you know the the, the foods that have been made, the alternative kind of meat products, but also like you mentioned the Leon, the founder of Leon, and they've got some some great kind of vegan nuggets and things like that that actually ch- taste a lot like chicken, which is which is really important. It's really important. That innovation is really important to move people along. But I think it's a bit, a bit of innovation which is happening, but also that kind of, you know, education in how to cook better meals and how to, to do it. And actually, I think that a lot of those mindful chef gustos and, you know, Hello Freshes are probably a bit responsible or, or can be responsible for this change as well. Because I think that if you've ever had that kind of experience of ordering from them, they make cooking really easy. Definitely. However, I would say, um, I, you know, I'm not sure whether there, there are enough kind of vegan and um, meat-free options in, in those kind of menus. They're also very expensive. I mean, everything you've listed, whether it's Leon Nuggets or Hello Fresh boxes, they've been brilliant at educating me, but they are very expensive. And I think, you know, Emma, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on like how we can make eating less meat more mainstream. Yeah, it's funny. I was interested to hear Dino talk there, yeah, about price and ease. Yeah. A lot of my references generally, and including on this topic, tend to be a bit more US-centric just because I lived there for such a long time until recently. 
But when I was thinking about this, I found it interesting to pull together a few strands. One is that, you know, having worked in advertising and marketing for a long time, you know that the single most powerful word in marketing is free. And <laughs> probably the second most powerful word is reduced, reduced price. And um, I found it interesting that apparently the year in which US per capita meat consumption was its lowest ever was 1932, right in the middle of the Great Depression. And I'm also old enough that I was still living in the UK when um, the BSE crisis hit. And I remember, you know, obviously that was a disease linked to meat eating, linked to beef eating. There was terrible fear. You're going to get this brain disease, this neurological and brain disease. And obviously beef sales plummeted until the supermarkets reduced the price of steak and beef by 50 or even 70%. Yeah, that's what it took. And so I just thought it's an extraordinary example of even when I believe that I could, I face the imminent prospect of a disabling neurological disease, that's what people believed, if you reduce the price of my steak by half. Anyway, so what I'm leading up to, of course, is that I think a very big but challenging solution to the whole situation is, is price related. Taxing meat consumption or increasing the price of meat or conversely subsidising or making free fresh vegetable consumption or more plant options. It's a massive undertaking to try to pull that off and it might not be popular in a short term way. But if you could move the price lever, I suspect it might have a massive mainstream effect. I think it really um, it really matters. Price and ease mm. you know, really, really matter to, to, to nudge people's behaviour in good directions. So one place where people do get free food is in schools. And I thought it might be interesting to explore a little bit around meat eating in schools as a place where you can establish new behaviours. I found that in the public sector, there was a pledge in April 2020, there was a pledge across the public sector with all of their catering suppliers to decrease the amount of meat they serve by 20%, which moved 2 million kilograms of meat from UK school reels. And actually, I have a friend called Jake who works for an amazing organisation called Chefs in Schools. And they take ex-chefs, people who are professionally trained, amazing chefs, and then they, they make school meals, like proper amazing food with fresh ingredients, freshly prepared. And they educate the kids about food. It's, it's a fantastic organisation. So I was wondering, did you guys have veggie options at school? Um, is that something your kids have now? Is that something that might be worth exploring in the brief? It's quite a good point, actually. I mean... The, my wife always says that she um, the reason why she went vegetarian originally was because the meat options at school were so bad, apparently. Oh, really? The vegetarian options were, were much better. So she clearly went to a much better school than I went to because I think it was the other way around, really, in terms of, you know, I remember the, the vegetables just being, you know, cooked really badly, I guess. and Floppy carrots. Yeah, most things being quite bad, I guess, in, in school kind of lunches. It's harder to get meat wrong, I think in terms of the range of kind of good vegetables, bad vegetables, and how well they're kind of prepared and salted or whatever can be much kind of greater, I think. And I think if you've had, you know, really nice vegetables, then you probably become a bit of a snob to, you know, standard kind of school dinner kind of vegetables as well. I think, though, I have to interrupt you here, Dino, and say, but what about pizza? Pizza. Mm. Because I think there is a universally appealing food item for anybody 
well, most people, but certainly children. I've never met the child that doesn't like a pizza. Mm. And it may not feel very healthy in a macro sense, but uh, it is indeed a potentially meat-free and yet still... It still wins. Extremely popular option. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pizza I mean, and most kind of pasta dishes are hard to get wrong, aren't they, really, when you put a lot That's of you know, well. sauce and cheese on it. But, um, but yeah, but I, th- I think that the skills need to improve. I mean, Jamie tried it at the school dinners, didn't he? And, and I'm not sure it's really kind of worked, I guess. I mean, I don't know. My, my, my kids seem I know, relatively happy, I think, with what they get. But, um, but I think, you know, it's interesting, actually. I think that the real kind of point that is quite exciting about this kind of, you know, let's say the future of this kind of solving this problem is that actually I think vegan options and things like vegan cheese... And these alternative fruits, you know, these like jackfruit being kind of like a substitute for like chicken nuggets, who would have thought? And all this kind of innovation is actually making the food quite comparable and quite tasty to, you know, to, to what you expect in a sense. We bought some, some wild rabbit kind of pizzas the other day and my wife bought them not thinking they were vegan pizzas, but they were. And, you know, even the chicken wasn't real chicken as such. And, and everyone ate them not really thinking twice about, about it. And I think that's where you want to get to, don't you? Where it's actually, it's not really a choice of, um, you know, you feel like you're sacrificing. You just, you just do it because it tastes just as good. Yeah, I think product innovation is going to, is already starting to help a lot and will continue, not least because if you think of companies like, you know, Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat, those big innovators in the space, one on a personal level, you know from your personal experience that if you compare the products you've been trying over the last 10 years, they're getting better literally year by year. The Impossible Burger now is literally twice as good as it was two years ago. And you know how tech and innovation curves work. So it will be a hopefully exponential, but certainly a very sharply positive curve. And the money is flowing. These are big Silicon Valley investors getting behind that. You know, the good thing is that a lot of where the innovation energy comes from and where a lot of money comes from, which is still, as we know, often West Coast, California based, there is huge interest, energy and positive things. I believe, for example, I think Jeff Bezos's family office is an investor in one of these. Certainly a lot of the big tech entrepreneurs are personal as well as corporate investors in the space. And um, yeah, I think that, that that is going to be critical in getting to large scale, affordable, easy options. If we can increase demand for fake meat, then we are going to decrease the price, right? So I do think that might be an interesting way to take the brief. Um, I I have a friend uh, who runs a vegan restaurant in Birmingham called Plant and Pulse, and they made a very active decision to not call it a vegan restaurant. It's just delicious, exactly. healthy food that happens to only use things that are grown naturally without any meat or dairy. And it's extremely popular in a market where it's not as popular. You know, it's not, this isn't some trendy East London train. This is a middle of Birmingham commuter village. Like it's, it's a very different vibe, but they do so, so well because it is just really good quality food. A flip side to the fake meat I wanted to get you guys' view on. In France, it is illegal to call a sausage roll a sausage roll if it hasn't got any sausage in it. And I wondered, you know, how do you feel about that? Have, have they gone down the right route? Is, is it better that we... We don't try and just replicate with sort of almost as good, but never quite as good alternatives. Is it better that we give fruit and veg its own plinth to stand on? I don't know. I think, well, I'm pretty sure, I'm sure the French, um, that particular French call is a response to an extremely powerful farming lobby. Yeah. And um, I'm sure, well, obviously you have the same thing in the US, which I know well, and I'm sure some degree here. So I just think give up on that if you want to make any progress in the short to medium term. It's just a losing battle. 
And I would say that you just need to make things easy. You know, all the science of behaviour changes that hence nudge, etc., is small, imperceptible, easy and instinctive change is what actually people will do. And just to swap in is a damn sight easier than I've got to learn a whole new conceptual zone. I think that one of the things we should look to for inspiration is the success of the recent Game Changers documentary. I don't know. Mm. I haven't watched it all, but it was a phenomenal hit. I think it's the most watched documentary of all time now. I'm pretty sure it's the most watched documentary on Netflix. And the reason I think it's very important, not just because it garners a huge amount of attention and apparently has been driving behaviour change towards more plant-based eating, is because it did the thing that I think has often failed to be done in this area, which is it gave a positive, inverted commas, selfish set of reasons to eat more plant-based stuff. So it was not, even though we may want to tackle the environmental problem, potentially I would say the best, most powerful way to do it is not to actually do it on that basis, but to talk about the personal, inverted commas, selfish health and other reasons to eat more plants, eat less meat. And that's what that, I mean, the Game Changers was all about athletic performance and personal strength and general healthiness for me and uh, and obviously also helps that it debunked some of the more positive and sort of aspirational aspects of meat eating that sort of uh, association with masculinity and you know toughness etc etc so to me the marketing type solutions around this area all about building personal communicating what's in it for me personal benefits and then nudge behaviour, like make it easy for me to do it. Those two things together are the what will actually probably uh, accelerate. The trajectory, at least, is in the right direction. It's just, can it go fast enough? People are eating less meat and um, they say they want to eat even less, etc. Mm-hmm. This is the crux of it, though, as well, which I think um alluded to at the start in terms of, you know, how much is too much? You know, we talk about we need to reduce our consumption by 30% or whatever, but we talk about this kind of collective we, like we all eat the same amount of meat. You know, and the reality is we don't, do we? You know, like, you know, you know, the government campaigns of, you know, two of your five a day or whatever it is, it's like, oh, five a day of veg, you know, what's the equivalent of meat? You know, how how much or how little are we asking people to eat? I don't think the number's ever been said as a, is it is it one steak a week or is it one steak a month? Yeah, and actually having those targets, having five a day, having 10,000 steps a day, those targets are really helpful massively helpful okay so it feels like we're starting to really nail down a brief here i mean the easy and obvious target audience is ourselves and people like us who know they should but for some reason still don't eat less meat and um it it certainly feels like in terms of the objective for the brief it's about communicating the adjacent benefits communicating primarily health benefits in a way that appeals to our our selfish consumer rather than talking to our ideal ethical selves that probably aren't the ones in charge when we're hungry and in Tesco's. And it's about reframing meat eating as easy, right? Easy and accessible. We can't change the price overnight, but we can make it seem easier. So removing those barriers for people. And if we have in our minds that the objective is two meat-free meals every single week. So if that's a helpful brief, um, let's kick off with some ideas. We'll start with if we had no money and we have to just hustle our way through this brief and then we will discuss what we would do with money was no object. Anyone want to kick off? With no money, you're looking to individual influencers and you're looking to see if you can via personal lobbying or connections networking 
if you can make more prominent people who are looked up to, followed, people just interesting in them, interested in them. So whether that's you know actual celebrities or it's just people who've got good social following, anyone in the public domain who is not a worthy preachy type, but is just a relatable, likable thing. So obviously your dream, if we're in the UK, your dream is footballers or pop stars or I think you try to individually lobby or get to individuals influences like that we were talking before this Amy about gamers and how big gaming is now if you had a few of the big gamers for a younger generation like talking about their diet like just because there's so much social chat around that this is a desirable positive good way of eating and living I'd start there yeah absolutely make it aspirational I mean I think it's amazing that Kim Kardashian is a vegan and I wonder how many thousands of people are vegan simply because Kim Kardashian is a vegan. Mm, exactly. Yeah, I love that. That's great. I mean, I, th- I think that in terms of if I had kind of no money, I think what I'd like to do is it's about the framing of the kind of the problem. And I think in terms of I like the idea of trying to get people to eat meat less by looking forward to eat meat on certain occasions. So be a bit more occasional about how you how you eat your meat. Interesting. Yeah, strip it out of your day to day kind of basket shop, and, and and make it more of an occasional thing. Mm. So so champion the fact that you know you you don't eat meat at home, for example, or you you know you only eat it you know on on a, on a as a treat, and maybe create a day. Maybe there's like um you know binge binge on beef kind of day or something, or or once a month or something. You know we, we just got we got to work out the regularity of it, but it might be every every fortnight or, or once a month is your, you know, is your big beef day. Mm. Big beef day. I can't come out tonight, guys. It's my big beef day. <laughs> well, that's it. You've got your pass. You can go out and just scoff your face and beef and feel good about it because ultimately you've reduced your consumption considerably across the month from what you would have ordinarily done. I actually, I reframed drinking Coke on a similar sort of um, idea, you know. Uh, so I found my, I was having a Coke like every day. And in my mind, I thought to myself, right, I'm only allowed to have a Coke if I would have bought a chocolate bar. It's the same decision. It's an either or Coke or a chocolate bar. And that framing of it as a treat has meant that I now have it once a month and I love my monthly Coke. That's it. It makes the occasion even kind of better and greater. Uh, So you win on both sides. You feel like I'm still a beef eater. I still love beef, but I'm just sacrificing a little bit to love it more when I have it. You know, you're, you're kind of like giving yourself that kind of um, kind of holding yourself back to enjoy it more, you know, but you feel good about the fact and the reason why you're holding yourself back because it's doing something good overall. You know, I'd love a birthday beef much more than a birthday cake. Birthday beef. Yeah, that's it. You know, just cre- let's just create some days and some moments where you can binge on beef. But we just know that actually you've taken out the, the everyday purchasing, the everyday buying of beef. So that'd be my free idea. I do think there is something as well in that point we were making about making tangible the measurement of it. Like, you know, if you could come up with a equivalent of your 10,000 steps or I know they try that with obviously, you know, the five veg a day, but that's, you know, for a slightly different thing. I think if you could, I don't know, maybe this has to be, maybe it's not free. <laughs> I need a coder friend, but if you can give me an app or a little, a way to tangibly track my gamify it, have targets, you know, I need to hit a weekly target of a lowered meat consumption. And if you link that to a tangible outcome, so if I, you know, X target reached equals the equivalent of planting 100 trees, 
giving me tangible targets and giving me tangible links to an outcome I can relate to, it would help with the nudging again. Feel some million dollar ideas coming on. <laughs> but what I was thinking for the free idea, it goes back to Dino, you were saying about how it just it seems so much easier to cook me and I am so in that category. Like when I'm tired at the end of a day and I can just put on some turkey dinosaurs and make some mashed potato, it's so much easier. I'm very ignorant about how to cook well without the only time I have cooked well without me is when when I had Hello Fresh boxes, which was bankrupting me, so I had to stop. And I actually, I'm not alone. I looked into this. The government nutritional data found that the average UK family relies on just six go-to recipes that they rotate, which I can completely relate to. So my free idea is to work with Sainsbury's. They recently replaced their Eat Well for Less tagline with helping everyone eat better. And that better encompasses better for your health and better for the planet. So it fits well with their brand positioning to really take take a lead on educating people around veg cooking. And I was thinking we could create HelloFresh vibes, right? Veg, veggie meal boxes in store or available as delivery, purely vegetarian, amazing sauces, amazing veg that you'd never otherwise under, like know to put together. And the thing that's great about these sorts of meal boxes is that it's portioned. So you don't end up with a massive pot of fish sauce that you use once. So I think there's something in that. And actually, I think Sainsbury's are, are very well positioned to, to lead on it. And maybe building on that, you don't position them as vegetarian or vegan or plant-based. You just position them as within the set of solutions that they offer, because I suspect that will amplify uptake. Or maybe maybe it's that they're a £5 mailbox. And the reason they're so cheap is they haven't got meat in, but it's £5 and it'll feed your whole family. And it's got you know amazing sweet potatoes and carrots and veg and delicious sauces. That's a very good point. Yes, exactly. You could distinguish them by being actually a lower cost and more affordable price rather than brand them. There's a real opportunity in that to actually, you know, include some, you know, plant-based meat options in that as well. So meat alternatives. I think actually really you've got to fool people into just kind of like eating it and, and feeling and believing it's, it's the same thing, but it's, you know, it isn't. And actually, the more you can do that, and whatever the words are, the more you can get people to think, like, oh, I'm not making a substitution here. I'm just, I'm having the same thing. And it is a bolognese or whatever. But actually, it's, it's using kind of plant-based kind of beef. Then great, absolutely great. What you don't want, I don't think, is, is the whole kind of kids thing of the kids kind of like, you know, t- turning their noses up and rejecting it before they've even tasted it. It's the standard of the recipes as well. It's the fact that you're introducing them to something that is better than they could have made themselves. All right, some pretty decent free ideas there floating around. And then I guess now let's say money is no option. We can tap into Jeff Bezos's infinite, infinite money. What would we do to solve this brief? So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go because it's a little bit of a, of, of a continuation of Emma's free idea. And, you know, the use of kind of like influencer and celebrity, which I think is, you know, is an important kind of... Um, factor in converting people and persuading people. And I, and I like the idea. I always, um, that kind of idea of performance and plant-based versus meat-based. And I'd love it if we created like a, like a plant-based Olympics type thing where, um, you know, everyone that competed was on a plant-based diet. You put it to the test. You just showed how you could demonstrate how performance could be improved. And maybe there was some kind of criteria about it. So, you know, to enter into it, you had to be plant-based for, you know, 24 months or something, you know, in the run-up to it. So you could see people making the transition. 
So you could probably see athletes make the choice of going, right, I'm going to change my diet and enter these, these championships. And then, you know, record my school, become the world record holder for certain things. And, and I think it really starts to flip the dial when records are broken by, you know, people on plant-based diets. And that's like the ultimate. So why not? Yeah, I think uh, investment in celebrity partnerships or influencer marketing or something could definitely help. My theme would all be about the positive power of plant-based eating, which is what I think Dino is talking about. Yeah, you can see campaign-based solutions as well, which are around, yeah, literally making tangible and uh, visible the benefits of uh, plant-based eating. So impact on whether it's athletic performance or youthfulness or longevity or physical appearance or skin condition. I suspect that the cases and testimonials are out there and you want, a, I think, a cultural conversation going on about the potentially extraordinary positive benefits of this diet shift and maybe on, yeah, as I say, on different dimensions. But um, yeah, just like they did, you know, with anti-smoking, it was sure you might get lung cancer or you might get other diseases, but also, you know, it makes you look bad. It makes you smell unattractive. You know, they played every dimension and I think um, you play multiple dimensions. Uh, about the personal benefits, the personal uh, upsides and downsides. I was thinking about quitting smoking actually as a as a as a sort of framework for quitting meat. Was we are addicted to meat, and you know, so much of the way that we shifted behaviour with smoking, it's similar, right? It's it's very enjoyable. It's a vice that we know we shouldn't do, and and the way that we've cut it out of advertising is very interesting. You know, imagine a world where meat wasn't allowed to have any have any packaging or any branding on it are you suggesting that we have to make meat eaters go and eat outside in a little in the rain <laughs> it's just it's, it's interesting though isn't it because i was thinking about that as well but it points to a problem which is everyone knows you have to give up smoking you don't have to give up meat eating moderation is harder so i think it's more akin to getting people to drink less alcohol or getting people to eat less processed sugar. It's things where one of the difficulties here is that I don't see it as, an, as a baddie in an absolute sense. Like all smoking all the time is bad, very clean cut. All meat eating all the time is not bad, but excessive or big industrial meat production, excessive eating is that. So to me, it's actually harder because you're asking for moderation and more carefully sourced products and all that stuff. So it's, it is harder. It's a difficult topic to navigate, I think. Going back to not necessarily kind of like, you know, making people feel guilty for when they eat it, you know, kind of regularly, but almost like celebrating the fact that when they eat it occasionally, I think is quite a strong kind of idea in that sense. And it's a bit like, you know, why you don't have donuts every day or birthday cakes every day type thing in terms of go to that effort to make that big thing. It's because, you've, you know, you've said to yourself, that's just ridiculously excessive and, you know, it's not good for you. But you do really look forward to that kind of occasion, that celebratory kind of moment to reward yourself and go, yeah, brilliant. Let's like, you know, pig out on this kind of you know, indulgent sugar thing. And I think if we can yeah, take, take those cues and, and put meat in the same place, maybe we're doing things without people feeling like they're being punished for, for having to eat less. Yeah. He's just trying to push his idea again. I was going to say, that is definitely marketing of your own idea there, Dino. <laughs> definitely lobbying I for it. Allowed. But I think in also we have to remember, yeah, yeah, if we've got infinite funds, 
we're also going to spend, I think, on a massive lobbying campaign to basically, in lots of areas of the world, certain types of agriculture are massively supported by government grants and, and funds, etc. You could definitely, with the right lobbying impact, restructure that so that you systemically increase the price of meat and still benefit farmers by subsidies etc and increase the price of plant-based solutions and that might be part of it as well and again if you've got another thing happening in society which is tech and innovation driving delicious non-meat products there will be less pushback against the price of inverted commas regular meats going up so I, I'm less worried about if my sausages are 50% more expensive, if the alternative plant-based ones I can buy taste as good, then I'm good with it. If you take away my delicious sausages and give me some very bland alternatives, I'm not going to be happy about that. Mm. You're so right. Those systemic changes, meat tax, subsidies, without that, we, we won't see systemic change. So so that does underpin a lot of this. Um, and then some of these ideas we're coming up with are lovely sort of communication narratives that can help, as you say, sort of bring the public along on that journey and get them and get them sort of accepting some of the alternatives. For my infinite money idea, I'm going to riff off what you said, Emma, around an app that would help and gamifying it. But I'm going to not build my own app because I think... People never download apps. 100%. And I'm thinking like, what's the most trusted brand in the world? What's the most aspirational brand in the world? And it's Apple, I reckon. If Apple got behind plant-based eating, that would significantly change the cultural position of veganism and vegetarianism. So I think what I would do is build a meat tracker into the Apple Health app. I use that health app every day to check my steps. I'm like obsessed with seeing if I can get to 10,000 every day. So work with Apple, basically have a tracker inside the health app. Every time it registers that you're sat at a restaurant, it will pop up. Maybe it can pop up on your iWatch or your whatever it's called. iWatch? <laughs> and, Apple um, Watch. and it will say, Apple Watch. <laughs> uh, and it will say, um, are you going to order a meat meal or a vegetarian meal? And in that moment, you have to answer to it. You have to say which one you're going to choose. And if you choose a veggie meal, it will track how many days you go without eating meat. And that could be the goal is, you know, you should be able to do five days a week without eating meat or two days a week, whatever you want to set your goal as. And you can see, you know, the wonderful thing about that app is you can see over a year, you can see the days when you can see your birthday beef and you can see the days when you do indulge, but you can also see how many days you achieved without it. And it's building on an existing behavior. Apple has huge penetration across a slightly more affluent group, but that is also what builds that sort of aspirational status that I think would trickle down. I I love that kind of idea, but I also love the fact that if you integrate it with the help kind of app and the functions, you could probably start to see some correlations with your, you know, your other kind of health measures as well. Yeah. So, you know, your, 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 yes. whatever, your BPM and things like that. And actually that's when it gets really interesting where you can see that actually a month that you spent le- eating less meat, um, actually you felt a lot better or, you know, or input more data about your mood and your well-being, and, and you can start to see the effects of it. But also I think that you can set yourself your own set goals. You know, that's back to the whole, are we trying to reduce everyone by 30% or, or some people less than others? You know, you want to be able to see well, how do you compare to the average person? How do you compare to, you know, a really good person? And and so where do you want to get to? But, you know, everyone's got to get, let's say, 30% better. But, you know, you might be at a place where you need to get 70% better or or just 10%. 
And, and I think that's quite important information to have. And, and the app will, will help to do that. Yeah, I totally agree. That's a great point. It really could help then if you started to see those correlations to other personal benefits and if those were quantified uh, and made tangible to you, it would really further sort of cement your behaviour changes, wouldn't it? And to push it even a step further, could we encourage Apple to have a health app for the planet that sits alongside the health app for your own body and it can track the behaviours you do that are good for the wider planet? Correlating that idea of personal health with planetary health Mm. might make it a little bit more understandable yeah nice there's probably a future where we're paying some kind of you know planetary environmental tax that's that kind of link is pretty pretty nice i think in terms of directly linking how much meat you're eating to how many forests are being damaged by the the amount of you know cows doing their farts and on that note (laughs) (laughs) it feels only fitting that we end on cow farts (laughs) so um i think i'll wrap up there So, yeah, in in case uh, you missed it, we chatted with Rory Sutherland about making tax paying sexy. So that feeds in quite nicely to the meat tax that Emma is suggesting. So be sure to subscribe to our show and check that out. If you'd like to get in touch with any of us, if you're sat there thinking that you have a brilliant idea that we haven't thought of, uh, then please do. All our LinkedIn profiles will be in the show notes. And I'd just give a quick shout out to our fantastic sound engineer, Alex Raymond. All that's left to do is to thank Emma for joining us and to thank you, our listeners, for listening.